Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Formula One is in Mexico City this weekend for the first leg of its three-part tour of the Americas. While we already know Mercedes is sure of another world championship double, there is still plenty to play for. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to preview the Mexican Grand Prix, first is Scott Mitchell, now in low downforce facial hair trim. Sensible move for Mexico? Uh, I, I think so. Uh, it's mainly because you get into the end of 2019. I don't think it's, although the focus is starting to shift to 2020, you still got to work out how you uh, how you refine what you've got for 2019. A couple of teams are still bringing upgrades. So I've rolled out a, a slightly less bearded look for the for the final leg of the season. Would you call it an experimental face? Uh, the face is largely the same. Unfortunately, despite many attempts uh, to solve it, I am actually stuck with this face and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, sometimes your concept has a baked-in weakness. I, I don't know how to respond to that. That's, that is a withering in insult <laughs> just do what everyone should do on this podcast and nod sagely and agree with what i say well no you're right ed but i believe your next guest has a, a face as though it was carved from the angels themselves that sounds quite violent uh yes well we do have another guest a grand prix debutante in fact uh, jack benyon stepping up from formula two to join our team in the paddock for the first time now george russell lando norris alex alban and now jack benyon illustrious roll call you're really scraping the barrel this weekend, aren't you, Ed? I don't know whose silly idea it was to have me out here in Mexico. but We are yeah. very confident that you're ready for the step up. That's not what you've been saying uh, outside of the clutches of the podcast, so uh, I'll be keen to, keen to see the difference between the two. We have been giving you traditional rookie criticisms and jokes and uh, various other words that I can't There's been a good amount of hazing going on. That's the word, that's the word, yes. All, all your karma led for me to get through uh, security quicker than you at the airport, though, so all, all you've succeeded in so far is uh, you know, making my life. But Sham- you then par- paid us back 
in kind and then some. We've got change left over, unlike you following your horrific ACM shunt. <laughs> I may have taken 50 pesos out of an ATM, which if you, uh, if you Google that, is it's just not really pounds, enough to it? keep me going for the <laughs> you weekend. You can't even get mugged in Mexico City for 50 pesos. I'm sure if you really tried, you probably could. But uh, anyway, but no, it's nice to be in Mexico City. We, we arrived at some ridiculous hour in the morning so we've uh, we've just been dozing for a bit so if we're slightly more stupid and slow than usual that's a, an explanation although i'm sure we'll I'll be human. i'm sure we'll maintain our, our usual uh, our usual standards Chance so, to be a fine thing eh? a fine thing indeed exactly exactly well, well let's get on with uh, looking ahead to the mexican grand prix now jack Lewis Hamilton can clinch the World Championship this weekend. He has to outscore teammate Valtteri Bottas by 14 points. Of course, they're the only drivers who can still win the title, hence we know it's a Mercedes double. He's been very downbeat about the Mercedes team's chances, justifiably so. It's an interesting one, isn't it? He's come out and said that he's uh, obviously worried about the deficit Mercedes has in its powertrain to to Ferrari, which has obviously been a a big problem, especially since the summer break. We've got two long straights in, in Mexico, which is going to make uh, Hamilton overtaking you know, difficult if he ends up qualifying behind the Ferrari. So that's going to be an in- interesting thing to watch. I think you said they had no hope of overtaking on the straights. No hope's a, a strong claim, isn't it? But um, yeah, I was lucky enough to spend some time with Lewis last week. And I think, he, I think it's safe to say he's still pretty positive for the weekend that they can be competitive. And I think what we've seen since the summer break is, uh, you know, Mercedes are almost always the favourites coming into the weekend because of how they manage races and, and obviously the quality they have in, in, in Lewis and, and Valtteri. But we've constantly seen people coming up with different packages, especially uh, Ferrari and, uh, you know, taking the fight to Mercedes and often and often winning the races or providing the best package. So uh, it's interesting that we still sort of come into the weekends favouring Mercedes as, as the favourites. And I don't know if that's the case this weekend, but it's going to be very interesting to see how they match up with Ferrari. And uh, last year, obviously, was not a, a great race for Mercedes in the sense that they didn't have any cars on the podium. So it'll be interesting to see if the the same sort of deficit they had last year is still in place for, for this year as well. Ferrari, of course, strong in Suzuka, which is a very good sign for their car. And you can argue that Ferrari, really, if they'd nailed everything, should have won five consecutive races at this stage because even when the Mercedes has, has generally been the faster car in the race, getting track position is is not easy. Obviously, Valtteri Bottas at Suzuka was able to to nick it at the start by jumping from from third to the lead. But Scott, what do you make of the the all round performance of the Ferrari? We'll set aside the engine side for a bit, but if you can get a front row lockout at Suzuka, then clearly your car is pretty strong, isn't it? In terms of the twisty bits, I would say that the Ferrari is probably good enough through the twisty bits. I think what's what's significant with that that car upgrade that they had in in Singapore and, and the the effort that they've put in really since since working out around the French Grand Prix that that they had a bit of a problem with what they were doing in the wind tunnel um or exactly how they were carrying out their wind tunnel testing to 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 what they were then creating putting on the car and taking to the track. Um they they've they've sort of they've moved away from this flaw that failed around that time design-wise been chipping away chipping away chipping away at this peak downforce deficit that they've got to Mercedes and Red Bull and Singapore was sort of the culmination of that plus a bit more because it was quite a significant upgrade um and what that's basically done is it's made a car that we already knew was very very quick coming off of corners and very quick in a straight line that was a combination of it's clearly very good engine especially over one lap and the fact that it was a um, a more aerodynamically efficient concept so it was quicker in a straight line anyway with less drag and now it's given away less in the corners I still don't think it's the it's, uh, I don't think anyone would say it's like the market leader uh, through, through the corners but I, I wonder actually if it's got to the point now where they've, they've sort of broadened the working window of the Ferrari 
Whereas the Mercedes, we know what it's capable of. The Red Bull is quite peaky with its performance. So I think actually what Ferrari's got is a car that on its day can beat the Red Bull in terms of pure car performance and then has the engine advantage as well. So they've got this qualifying behemoth where they've locked out that pole position now for the, for the last five races. Um, I should have checked this before I started speaking, but I, I'm not sure. I don't know if they've got five front row lockouts since the summer break. But not quite, been, but they could have done. Exactly. So they've, they've been phenomenal. It hasn't just been because Leclerc's been doing a madness or anything like that in qualifying. The car is very, very good. And given that this is a circuit where Mercedes and Red Bull are starting to get a bit worried already pre-weekend about whether they're going to be able to take the fight to, to Ferrari, I, that maybe there's no reason for, for, for that not to continue. It is a track position machine, you could say, the, the Ferrari, and, and very often the Mercedes is, is quicker. So that's always the... It's, it's quite a good recipe for a race actually that you might expect Ferrari to be on the front row Mercedes could have the could have a pace advantage in the race again and then it's a question of can Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas uh, get ahead either through their own success or Ferrari misadventure should we say I mean it, it is interesting that we we are still seeing the Ferrari should we say weakness in that they've got say a three-fifth strike rate in terms of converting that position into into victories and in fact some of the ones where it's been a bit harder they've done okay in because obviously you think of the pressure Leclerc was under uh, in the two wins he had they were quite difficult to to execute particularly Monza you could argue whereas obviously losing out in Sochi and, and Suzuka were, were slightly more unfortunate should we should we say although they'd have been tough races if they'd uh, if they well Sochi less so but Suzuka would have been a tough race I think if uh, a Ferrari had still been ahead so it still sort of shows that there's a reason why Mercedes are the constructors champions six seasons in a row they're still a better all-round team aren't they well i think ferrari are basically to, to to use a bit of a an analogy that hopefully a few listeners will share but i'm pretty sure the three of us will it's like when you're playing football manager and you're on a mega winning run with your team and then you come up against bottom of the league you're playing at home they've not won in 15 games and you think well hey there we go we've got everything we need here this should be a strolling park and you lose one nil despite having more shots than ever and that's basically what ferrari does they're really good in general, their peak is phenomenal. But what they still seem to struggle to do is close out. It's almost like they've now switched and they're struggling to close out the easy stuff. They were dominating in Bahrain. And Vettel obviously spun during the race and then they had the reliability problem. Vettel threw away the win in, in Canada. He had different problems throughout the season in Azerbaijan, Austria, and a few other examples of the, the amazing double qualifying retire, retirement effectively where they didn't get the chance to do qualifying properly, either Vettel doing the whole session, Leclerc not doing Q3 because of mechanical problems. And since the summer break, it's sort of been the same. Mechanical problem in Russia, costing them a 1-2 or a probable 1-2. And then in Japan, it was the drivers that imploded this time. It's, it's rare that we've... I don't think we've had a race weekend this year where both drivers have blundered. And it was quite bad. Vettel obviously botched the start terribly and Leclerc botched turn two by clattering into Verstappen. So... Ferrari needs to up its own game because it has had a re recent reliability problem not two races ago, but the drivers as well. We know that there have been question marks over Vettel, and I think in Japan we saw that Leclerc, as much of a phenomenon as he is, he's still rough around the edges, prone to these errors. And when you've got a team like Mercedes and a driver like Lewis Hamilton, that's why Mercedes are constantly racking up these double titles, but Ferrari get nowhere near. Even though Ferrari are still, you know, obviously got a massive advantage in qualifying, 
think Mercedes can still rely on that race pace being there. I don't think they've had any struggles in terms of their race pace and it always brings them back towards Ferrari. And I think they're quite confident, Mercedes, that they can keep the pressure on Ferrari and force them into these mistakes because Mercedes has just been so good at that over the past few seasons, uh, you know, especially this season in, in maximising their, their result, knowing that they haven't always got the best car. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really intriguing battle and I feel like we come into every weekend thinking that Ferrari are going to run away with it and then Mercedes come back into it in, in some way, shape or form. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the deficit's like, especially in, in, in qualifying. And then the, I think the practice is going to be interesting to watch the, the long run pace as well. And the question, of course, of whether Lewis Hamilton will clinch the championship is, it, it's a little bit of an irrelevance really, isn't it? Because if he doesn't do it this weekend, and he's probably less likely to not, that he's less likely to do it this weekend than to do it, given that he needs a 14 point gain on Bottas, he'll do it in Austin the weekend after. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a question of when's the coronation rather than a, is, is he going to win it, I guess? So, do you see it? I mean, I guess you could have a Hamil- you could have a Hamilton win with a few cars in between him and Bottas that could do it, but I, I doubt if Hamilton will be too focused on that because I think he knows he's got it in the bag anyway. I think the be- the best chance for Lewis to to wrap up the title here is is a, is a win and fastest lap because then even if Bottas finishes fourth, I think that should be enough for for Lewis to win the title. So that's perfectly doable. We've seen how competitive the Ferraris are. Max Verstappen's always in the picture as well. If Lewis can use that Mercedes superiority on Sundays. To, to good effect do a good enough job in qualifying to be in the mix then it's not beyond the realms of possibility at all for, for that to happen but I just think with how competitive the Ferraris are the fact that you can't write off Verstappen I think if Bottas is struggling to finish higher than 4th or 5th maybe Lewis doesn't have a clear path to victory or fastest lap so I suspect unless something befalls Bottas we're going to have a slight change to what we've had in recent seasons and we'll have the the title probably wrapped up in Austin next week as opposed to Mexico this weekend. I'm not going to offer any groundbreaking insight here, but Lewis, we'll has, see. Lewis has referred to this race as the worst of the season generally for Mercedes. And yet they've wrapped up the championship here in 2017 and 2018. So maybe there's a, a fortunate hat trick coming up. Yeah, they have. And Mercedes has won a couple of the Mexican Grand Prix since it came back in, into the calendar, of course. Red Bull's won the last couple of years. So it is interesting. And of course, the altitude, it's it's not far off 3,000 metres and each each 1,000 metres is about 10% air density reduction. So obviously that's less less downforce, that's less engine power can from the conventional engine. So uh, that uh, changes the equation a bit. And it's always interesting. Now, that, uh, one of the interesting things there will be looking at the Ferrari engine performance because obviously it's a little bit more biased towards the the earth side of things because that's not really well it's not affected because obviously that's electrical it's not a it's not a, an explosion if you like which is uh, if you've got less air in the explosion less less reactive less uh, less power but on the subject of the engine scott now it has emerged that several rivals have written to the fi to question the ferrari engine legality so what exactly is going on there what do teams think they are doing i guess it depends on which uh which colour t-shirt or cap you wear in the stands will define where where you sit on this. Some people will just say it's sour grapes. Some people will say it's just it's a legitimate query because of Ferrari's performance advantage. You know, there have been a couple of races recently where Ferrari's rivals feel that they've got a seven, eight, tenth deficit in the straight line or on the straights rather compared to to Ferrari. So basically, and we should say straight line advantage is not only a question of engine power. It's probably the biggest single factor. But yeah. there's, there's drag and other elements. You're speed off the corner etc etc absolutely so i think the best way to summarize it is that what the rival what the rivals in question are trying to seek from the FIA is clarity over whether certain theories relating to what ferrari are doing 
are within the rules because they want to know if Ferrari's breaking the rules or if that's an avenue that they can go down because I'm told that basically one of the theories surrounds effectively mimicking the effects of oil burn which the FIA have worked really really hard the last couple of years or few years to, to clamp down on and so the theory goes that if you've got a if you've got the Ferrari system which I believe is the only um, is the only uh, intercooler that utilizes uh, oil uh, compared to the rival manufacturers for cooling, for cooling yeah um, there is a effectively a controlled leak in in the system that allows a small amount of, of oil mist to enter the combustion chamber and combustion process and it basically means a little bit of oil burning a little bit of a power boost and you wouldn't get a massive amount out of it which is why in race trim the Ferrari is not miles quicker but over one lap it does seem to have a key advantage that's one theory I should say that there's obviously at the moment we've got certainly no way of proving that that's what they're doing and by all accounts as well it's very difficult for the FIA to prove that that's what they're doing but they basically they want to know if that sort of thing is acceptable because I'm told that even if you've got a tiny tiny amount of oil that you can burn during that process it can give you a chunky power boost 20 30 brake horsepower maybe even more depending on how much you're burning obviously so that's one theory and then another theory is that um, that they might be doing something trick with the the energy recovery system and both of those elements potentially if it's difficult because you're you're, you're dealing in in ifs constantly with this but if that's where Ferrari's getting an advantage it bodes really well for this weekend because if they're burning if they're burning stuff more efficiently basically in the engine then the ICE process is going to be better than their rivals because the ICE is made to work harder to, to burn fuel etc here and then on the ERS side if they've got a more powerful or efficient ERS and this the engine here relies more heavily on the ERS then it's a double whammy as far as Ferrari's rivals are concerned. So it's not. Although, the, if you can't get enough air in, because that's a big part of the, you know, the, the, that doesn't give you extra air for the process, does no, it? No, absolutely not. And or you never know. Air, we and say. you never know how that's going to affect the the balance, because obviously this is this is very, very, very complex science. So if there is, if you've got that little bit of extra oil, for example, in the process, but you've got less air, how much does that impact the balance and the ratio? So. I, I don't. I don't necessarily think we're going to see a particular change in the competitive picture this weekend. Um, I will be interested to know if the matter escalates to the point where someone lodges a protest against Ferrari, because basically the FIA have said we haven't had any pro, uh, protests and we monitor stuff the way we're meant to monitor it. So it's basically inviting the rivals to put up or shut up. Well, you could also do the thing of asking if doing a certain thing is legal or not, in the opinion of the. In the opinion of the technical, well, I believe that's what stuff. they're doing. So you'll, and, you'll be, get th- and they're not getting a response, basically. Exactly. So they'll wait. They'll either get something back telling them, "Yeah, that's fine," or they get something back saying, "No, it's not." And some, and often you get if you get a negative response for a specific thing, that'll get circulated among other teams as well. So often that's the thing you do if you know other people are doing things to try and uh, try and highlight it. No, it, it and it is really hard to tell from from the outside exactly exactly what the the reality is of it. I mean, the FIA has said. Whenever it's looked into it, it's been fine. But you know, at the same time, there's there's suspicions from multiple sources. So you, you just you just don't know. Um, but it's only made things um, interesting, and it'll it'll play out in the end. Because if people think they're cheating, there'll come a point where a protest will have to be lodged, or the FI will have to tell them to stop doing it. Or if not, if the FI thinks it's fine, the others will know it's fine. And they'll have to do if they know what's being done. Which obviously you have to say they don't necessarily because we've got different interpretations of what may be happening. So nobody, I don't think anybody on the outside is, seems to have an absolute 
certainty over over what's going on. And then if you get into the world of well, your performance is so good, then it's got to be something illegal. You're on, you're on kind of shaky ground. You need to know exactly what what's going on. Yeah, exactly. So it's a very complex situation, and it's one that doesn't have an easy solution. I don't think. So yeah, it would just be interesting to see sort of how it plays out. Benning, what do you make of the Machiavellian world of uh, Formula One politics? I'm guessing there are. I mean, I. I know that in any championship, there's always something afoot, isn't there? But is it is this sort of thing much different to the world of Formula Two, Formula Three? Is there a bit more cat fighting in in F1? Do you expect it's um it's different because the obviously Formula Two and Formula Three are single mate formulas with the with the same engine and uh, all the theoretically all the same parts and everything. So it's a uh, the, the complaints there are usually a little bit different. So it's 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 definitely different covering Formula Two and Formula Three in in that sense. But definitely looking forward to the the resolution of this and how it all plays out because it's been such a, a key talking point over such a long period of time now since the summer break for our engine. So, um, you know, it's really interesting to know what the ramifications of this um, this investigation, so to speak, is is, is going to be. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's impacted the order of Grand Prix for a long time now and, uh, you know, it's been a, a very special run from Ferrari. I think, I think special is a fair word to use. So the outcome of this query is going to be very interesting. But I think we get this. Pretty much every year in Formula One, don't we? We get some sort of uh, under the radar technical thing going on where um, there's something complicated going on, and it's always very interesting to listen to people like yourself um, learn more about oil burning and things like that. He's saying all the right things, isn't he? So good start for the for the rookie. But also, this this is kind of what Formula One is. It's about pushing the boundaries, isn't it? I always say that it's not necessarily about your machinery being legal. It has to not be illegal, which is a very slightly different thing. And over the past few years, as you said, uh, as you said, Jack, there have been various things levied up multiple different teams it's never just it's never just one and uh yeah how this will play out will be uh yeah interesting um and it's certainly been a major talking point in the paddock among uh ferrari's rivals we can we can be certain of that uh now jack seeing as you covered formula two this year and of course last year you're quite well placed to run the rule over this year's rookie crop alex alban lando norris george russell will be very strong antonio giovinazzi of course who did GP2, which is effectively F2 before your time, but he's he's had his moments. Although I don't think anyone would say he's quite been in the the class of those three overall, despite a few a few nice high points. What have you made of their performance, particularly that uh, the trio from the the top of the championship last year? Well, in preparation, as you told me this was going to be discussed on the podcast, I thought I'd consult our excellent Autosport readers and the the Autosport driver ratings, which you can do after each race, and they've ranked George Russell uh, as being the top of that crop. Uh, he's currently fourth with an average rating of 7.94. And then we've got Lando Norris in seventh with a rating of 7.59. Alex Albon's 11th with a rating of 7.29. And Antonio Giovinazzi is uh, quite a way down the order in 17th with 6.47. So uh, I think it's interesting George at the top actually because he was easily the standout driver in Formula 2 last year. I think it was absolutely phenomenal his, his run to the title in the end in, in difficult circumstances with some, some car issues and obviously trying to force his way into Formula 1 and um, yeah, a pretty difficult run for him, knowing he's not got you know a massive amount of financial backing as well. So it was a, a big deal for him to to get that Formula One seat. Um, obviously, it turns out he was actually in the you know in terms of performance, he was in the worst seat of those those crop of rookies you mentioned coming through. So um, a little bit of an interesting situation for him. And then of course, it's difficult to match George against his teammate Robert Kubica because we're, we're really not sure how good Robert Kubica has been this year it's very difficult to analyse obviously we've got the, the double whammy of Robert coming back from a, a long absence in Formula 1 and also the Williams not performing as as well as uh, its rivals around the back of the grid so 
George is one of the most difficult to to rank, but I think it's very interesting that the readers have put him so high up. Fourth is a you know a pretty amazing score for a rookie in terms of uh, driver ratings, which is which is phenomenal. I think he scored some impressive results, and although he hasn't got that magic Formula One point that the Robert Kubica scored, I think circumstances a lot to blame for that, and we've seen some some pretty majestic performances from George. I really hope that. Williams can can pick things up next year and we can see them a little bit closer to the back of the order so that we can see George uh, fighting and it'll be interesting to see George's teammate as well and if he can push him a little bit further on. I think with uh, with Lando, I think for me he's been the standout rookie um, mainly because I think I think many people have realised how good Carlos Sainz is this year in, in his performances. He's second in that in those driver ratings and uh, you know he's clearly delivered. In a, in a much improved McLaren so for Lando to constantly be on his pace and quite often uh, probably in general quicker um, maybe not in the races where um, Carlos is able to use his experience and extract the, the maximum amount of performance um, but but Lando in terms of general pace I think has been there or thereabouts with Carlos which uh, in terms of this rookie crop I don't think it gets much better than that and I think he would be my pick for rookie of the year so far uh, and then Alex Albums just continues to shock us doesn't he um i think it's, I, I was absolutely blown away when he got the the f1 seat last year not because of a lack of talent but because he'd already signed that formula e deal and it looked like his the future of his career was already sorted and yet he ends up in formula one and halfway through the season he's in uh, one of the best cars in the championship which is fairly unheard of in recent years for a rookie to go in at that higher level so um it's been a, a meteoric rise and if suzuka's anything to go by which you guys will be much better place to talk about than me but he was obviously uh, on Verstappen's par in qualifying which anyone who can match Max Verstappen in a qualifying session in a Formula 1 car has got to be um, that, that's got to be a performance worth celebrating He's already Albon got as many top 6 finishes in his 5 outings as Gasly did in the first half of the season which I think tells you quite a lot considering he's had a few he's had to come through from the back I think two of those he started down at the back of the order that's, that's pretty impressive and doing one of the things that Gasly wasn't doing of being able to clear midfield has there been occasions where he'd had a little bit of good fortune Sochi safety cars for example but by and large he's been quite good at getting on with it even by Red Bull standards, Albon has had a, a pretty whirlwind uh, experience with the, with the Red Bull program. Dropped back in 2012, was it after his first year of car racing in, in Renault? And the end of 2012. So he went, what, 13, let's do a bit counting with Scott. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. So he spent six seasons racing without Red Bull support. And then after, as you said, securing this Formula E deal, where you're like, wow, that's an incredible guy who... What was it uh, Dam said? Begged for a seat in Formula 2 in 2018 and utilised the fact that he was excellent or did a very good job against highly rated guys like Norris and, and Russell. Used the fact that then Dams have this, uh, you know, they run the the, the Renault-turned-Nissan Formula E programme. And it, wow, look at that. You've suddenly got this massive career opportunity that just looked completely beyond you. But it, it doesn't stop there. Then it's Red Bull get involved and they manage to extricate him from the from the from the Formula E deal, he doesn't. He goes into Formula e, uh, Formula One preseason testing at Barcelona, having driven an F1 car in a shakedown in Italy a few days before, done hardly any laps, shunts into the gravel on his outlap, <laughs> and goes into the start of the season with probably less mileage than any F1 rookie, really. Apart from there must have been a couple of guys from your day, Ed, in Marussia or HRT, the guys that turned well, up and their first lap was in like FP3 or qualifying. Yeah, it does or something. happen to that. And Albert did also manage to find the gravel instantly on, at the start of his uh, first proper test day. Yeah, so he 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 didn't help himself. But then since that point, you know, he he he's equipped himself really well. He did a very good job at Toro Rosso first half of the season, 
And while it wasn't, it wasn't like it was out of this world good for Torosso, but it was clearly good enough that when Gasly showed no signs of properly improving, Red Bull just went, actually, this guy could be senior team worthy. So let's just put him in. And then he gets, uh, in the space of 12 months, he goes from having no future at all to a Formula E drive, to a Formula One drive, to a seat in a team that wants to win the title next year. That is incredible. I, I think I think if I was to, I mean, you, you put Norris at the front of that rookie group. I think I might, it's really tight for me. So honestly, they've all been really good. I might just lean towards Albon at, at the moment, but it's, it, it could still swing in the last few races because there's that it's so 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 tight. Well, I just wanted to throw the last thing on Albon. I thought the the thing that was really outstanding and impressive from him this year was probably the German Grand Prix where he hadn't driven an F1 car in the wet. He drove a superb race. Everyone talked about his teammate Daniel Kvyat who got the the podium, but actually Albon was the one who probably drove. Well, I think I, I think he was the only driver I gave ten in the driver ratings for that race on his way to sixth place. He was outstanding in that race. That was one of those sort of ones where you look at and you think you had every right to mess this race up. He was massively but, undone by strategy in that race, wasn't he? Exactly, yeah. But but you've just you've just aced it because he was so well up. He made there was one good strategy called right at the start. But then he just drove drove beautifully and because he was one of those cars that was kind of in the right place towards the end. It wasn't on for them to make a, a slick tire gamble, which is what helped Kvyat and, and Stroll. But yeah, loads of just just good work from uh from, from Albon and the, the unusual challenges he's faced I think maybe just gives him the, the edge although the key now is that that battle with Verstappen over the last few races Suzuka obviously qualified in fact exactly the same time as as Verstappen so yeah we, we, we'll learn we'll learn more about Albon in the next few races his, uh, his, his approach uh, it's something you've written about earlier in the end I know you've been really impressed with the, the, the feedback that he gives after races and, and things like that but just his, his approach in general to, to, to racing and to how he deals with engineers and his feedback and things like that are another another reason why he's here today and a, another reason I knew he would be you know a really good person to replace Pierre Gasly because Gasly was obviously chasing the setup and uh, making lots of minute changes to his car and uh, things like that and Alex is the kind of person who immediately goes through the data works out the the fastest way to drive the car and he'll adapt his driving style suitably to do so the the GP2 car and the the F2 car that came in for 2018 were massively different cars and we saw his teammate, who you know has been talked about a lot for F1, Nicholas Satifi, really struggled to adapt to that new car. And Alex was able to process the data quickly and score three pole positions after the you know second race into the season. So showed that he's uh, really capable of adapting quickly. And I think he was in that sense, it was perfect for him to go into Red Bull because there was no ex- no expectation, and they knew from his approach to things that he would uh, pick up quickly and not constantly change the car and be tweaking things constantly and would be uh would be working with the car so what about Giovinazzi he's someone you've written about a lot this year Ed and uh, he's the other one we've not really discussed so far in the, the rookie debate as I think I've probably said before he's a driver who frustrates me because he's quick I think fundamentally his underlying pace certainly over a lap more often more often than not tends to be slightly better than Raikkonen's now but he has this annoying tendency to not string things together. There's there's what I like to call stealth mistakes in races in that you might have a look as I always go over a lot of the data at the end of the race and you might see a lap that's quite slow and you think, oh, what's that? And you have a look at it and then he might, there he is, he goes off. He did one at Silverstone early on. He had a very difficult first stint at Silverstone, lost a bunch of places and he also had a little sneaky off uh, um, in Maggots Beckett's uh, area as well, which which didn't help him. And just little things that you look at and you think that's not quite... Uh, just not quite stringing it together in a way that the other rookies often do. So he he, he genuinely does frustrate me because you know he's he's a he's a nice guy. 
you want to see him doing well because you, you know people who work hard get opportunities because they're good he's not had massive amounts of backing financially through his career so he's, he's a good story from, from that respect and you just think he's at a point where he could be consistently edging Kimi Räikkönen but he's not doing it quite enough but if he can just he has picked up a bit recently so if he can just chip away to the end of the season then Alfa Romeo that's been a bit iffy recently then that'll help but I don't think he's quite been in the same class as those other three and it's, it's interesting like Norris we shouldn't talk Norris I was impressed with in the Australian Grand Prix because I remember following it you know you follow the race he spent too long in fact stuck behind Giovinazzi but straight after the race talking to him he knew that he needed to nail that and you you spoke to him even after when he was quite fresh out of the car and you thought yeah if you jumped in the car and did the race again now assuming fitness and you weren't tired or whatever I think he'd have done it better and that's that's learning and you always look for drivers in that and and as for Russell you know really impressive in and out of the car Williams really like him and his approach what we can't be sure of at the moment is whether Russell's doing kind of a Fernando Alonso type season up against Alex Jung and Minardi where Alonso was clearly superb in that season Russell's clearly been but just that and and I I don't think it's completely outrageous to make that comparison as well some people be hanging it but I just you just don't know where that final tenth or two is that that's the thing I want to see with Russell and I suspect it might. I suspect he has got it, but I'm just not certain. But it's probably the best. We mentioned that Alonso. It's probably the potentially the best sort of rookie crop we've had since that season when we had what Alonso, uh, Raikkonen, and Montoya all came in in the same season in 2001. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Especially when you look at the the way that they've just seemed to slot so seamlessly into F1 life. And I know there's been some some talk over the year of over whether F1's too easy and whether this shows that it's just too easy to adapt to. I think that does a massive disservice to the effort that the the drivers are put in. I remember Albon saying in pre-season testing, he'd been given a massive book by Toro Rosso to learn the steering wheel. And he'd been studying, basically, to so that, so that when he got on track properly, he knew that he wouldn't waste any time whatsoever. And obviously, he then proceeded to throw it into the gravel straight at least away. He knew, at least he knew what to do once he was in the gravel. with the Yeah, speed. exactly. He knew, right, okay, I press this button, press this button. I'm terrible. But no, he's been he's, he's been excellent. They, they all have. I think we've, I think the, the big question mark is exactly what you pointed out there, Ed, with, with George and the impact that his circumstances have on sort of how good a job he's done. That's why I don't think it's unfair to rate him fractionally, fractionally below Albon and Norris just because... It's not his fault, but you just don't have the same number of metrics to judge him against there, there, as the there others. There are fewer barometers to use to work it out. And even for Williams, they're slightly limited because I've sort of tried to get a bit of a feel because teams obviously do a lot of analysis of their drivers. What they do know is that Russell has been getting progressively better. And there have been times where that's been obvious, like where he made that step change with the tyre understanding in Hungary and qualified sensation he won in the Hungarian. But he just keeps making those steps which is very 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 positive yeah absolutely so the the main thing now is Williams makes a step next year because we need to see what he's capable of in wheel-to-wheel combat a bit more and when there are chances to string that perfect weekend together and nab a few points because he's got a chance of of, of progressing to to the Mercedes team if the if Mercedes stick around and and Russell proves himself but he needs to be in a situation where he proves himself and another season at the back of the grid it's just going to count against him because when it comes to Mercedes picking their drivers or working out what to do with him, there will just be that question mark of we don't know what he's like further up the grid. So I hope for his sake he gets a better car because 
he, like his other rookies, have, have been, has been excellent you this want, year. You want to see drivers in situations where very, very small differences have tangible impact on the results. There have been too many times for George Russell where a few tenths in qualifying, or several, more than that, in qualifying has made, would have made the difference between being 19th or 19th. And then you've got Kubica being a little bit all over the place and you never really know whether that's Russell pulling it away or Kubica having problems or whatever. And uh, it'll, be interesting. it'll be interesting to follow Williams this weekend. They should, I think they'll have a few more of their experimental front wings, which Kubica really liked at Suzuka. George Russell didn't seem quite so excited. As far as I understand it, Kubica thought he'd be able to use that on Sunday. And I think the race team was happy for him too, but obviously there was some decision they didn't want to deviate on specs that uh, I think may have come from the may have come from the factory I'm not 100% sure that, and that's why Kubitz was so uh, so wound up but it for me it's it's just great I mean the point you made Scott all the drivers on the grid are very very good the, the weakest driver is still outstandingly good by any any measure and that's that's usually the case in uh, in Formula 1 so for three drivers to come in and be these sort of relatively rounded packages shall we say is is hugely Im- impressive and I think it's not impossible that we'll look back on this year and say yeah that was a great Great rookie crop, and uh, yeah, it just so happened they all sort of came through in the, in, at the same time. It's the, it's the teammate thing for me that really sets Norris aside, and that's the reason why why I went with him because but it's justifiable because, because science has been metronomically good, particularly in races. I think when we get to the end of the season, people will be calling for science to be one of the drivers of the season, and they, they've been massively impressed with he how, he's, how he's done at McLaren. And I, I still think Lando's been every bit as, as good as him uh, in, in terms of general pace. And I think Norris, you know, it's a throwaway to use bad luck, but I think. Norris really has had some bad luck and, and, and some struggles at times where Carlos has been able to extract the maximum out of a race and, and score some, some big headline Hollywood results. Well, even if you look at it at, at Suzuka, Norris was probably going to be ahead of the... Because uh, often they qualify together. He should have been the McLaren that was ahead, but then there was the Leclerc for Stappen thing. He had to back off. And then when the, the Leclerc wing fell apart, he picked up some, some debris. So that's just one of those cases where it's sort of sliding doors moment isn't it that, that one the race goes well for one and leave for the other and i think and actually that the points gap between the two i think is tremendously unrepresentative actually because obviously you've got carlos science who's who's in this great battle for his his target now is to hold on to six in the championship and he's uh he's three points ahead of gasly but the real rival is is alvin who's 12 points behind but yeah 76 points for for science in six and Lando Norris is down in 12th in uh, on 35 points and you know that that is for science to have over twice the points of Norris is unfortunate Norris has lost science has had some bad luck as well but Norris does seem to have had perhaps more than his his fair share and I think that if you just look purely at the points which can be a dangerous thing to do uh, in isolation I think it doesn't do him justice I think with Albon we can get a little bit caught up in the in the whole fairy tale of the whole thing as well and I think the first half of the season was definitely not perfect and while he's got less experience than the other rookies but good. coming into the field yeah it was very good points yeah. from the back from the pit lane in, in, in China and the thing that caught my I mean I must admit I was quite sceptical about Albon I hadn't seen that much I hadn't seen directly that much of him up to that point and clean knew he was good but I was quite impressed straight away in Australia I was watching in FP1 I think it was um, I think it must have been FP1 and, and he just sort of leaning on the car and letting it move around a bit and then eventually it caught him out and he backed into the wall and I asked him about it and he he was quite honest about it and he said well I just thought it moved around a few times I thought oh, well it's sticking so I'll just I'll just live with it and then as the tyre started to go away and he pushed a bit harder it eventually caught him out and he was happy to happy to admit that which uh, which is impressive but you're right the whole the whole kind of narrative thing can can distort the, the expectations, but all three of those have been very, very good. And I think actually, although Giovinazzi, I don't quite put it in that same category at the moment, Giovinazzi, I think, has been 
certainly better than the points deficit to, to Raikkonen uh, shows. Even though I think he's been he's been far more responsible for his lack of points than any of the other any of the other rookies have been in terms of how many points they could have scored. So uh, well done to to you and F two for uh, for uh, producing them. Uh, lastly, Scott, we should uh, we should just talk about the fact that uh, the teams uh, did not. Uh, vote through the the proposal for three reverse grid qualifying races next year which would have been Paul Ricard Spa and Sochi I don't think there's any great surprise uh, because there was always going to be some objections do you think that's a little bit of a missed opportunity to do something a bit different I know reverse grids become an extremely contentious debate but quite fun to see wouldn't it it would have been fun to see I think they've I got I think three points to make on it. First is I'm generally supportive of the idea because I think the way F1 works, I think stacking the order of the grid in, in with the fastest cars at the front is never going to lead to good racing. It's like um, it's like putting the highest seed players in tennis one set up at the start of a game or a few matches up or a few games up, sorry, um, or giving a, a top football team a one nil lead at the start just because they've got the, the best players or they're higher in the in the table so it doesn't really doesn't really tally um it doesn't lend itself to to entertainment and ultimately sport is about entertainment as well as a meritocracy so i think that's one thing like that's why i think the idea is worth exploring in principle the second point is i don't think f1 2021 is going to be all it's cracked up to be i think that whatever they're doing with the cars isn't going to be quite as effective in terms of making it easier to follow improving racing etc etc i think 2021 went started to go off the rails quite a long time ago i don't think well the fact that we don't have the rules shows that they just haven't been able it just yeah. the faa and, and fom haven't been able to impose their will have they the way they thought they'd be able to or and there's a question to. about whether their will was correct in the first place as well yeah, exactly. because i think i think it always comes down to what your objectives are and really really setting them properly at the start but not sure it's a helicopter polluting our podcast so that's unusual it'd be interesting to see if that gets picked up by the podcast otherwise you're going to sound mental but I could claim there's all sorts of things going on outside. <laughs> that is true. It's a I, tank I can, now. I can, I can make the sound effect, if you, if you like. I mean, I'm not going to be very useful. It's this a weekend, pterodactyl. So. Yeah, exactly. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> First pterodactyl impression on the Old Sport Podcast. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, or, back or to... crow than pterodactyl. <laughs> yeah, it was, actually. We, well, I mean, who's to know? Who's to say what a pterodactyl really sounds there, like? There is research into this that's yeah, based sure on... there is, but they, uh, you can't got, say 100% that a pterodactyl doesn't sound like well, a Well, maybe crow. not 100%. I think we've got... Sort of, I think uh, Jack Benyon impersonates extinct creatures is quite a could maybe a spin-off it's a podcast. good segment for the podcast at the very least more on this on sunday night when we review the race and and benyon impersonates a velociraptor <laughs> it's one to put the pressure on yeah, exactly you so you've, got a few day, you've got a few days to research uh, it's back back to my back to my three points so the second one is i don't think 2021 is going to be all it's cracked up to be so i think actually it's worth exploring this sort of thing because i still think f1's going to need some help to be improved but the third point and this is an argument against the experiment and I guess in favour of what the teams did. I'm not a huge fan of three out of 22 point scoring races being run experimentally to a different format because every race awards points the same. Every race is worth the same. And I just, my my worry is if you've got three races completely offset in terms of rules and format to, to others, that is that's an unfair injection of extra variables. If you've got every race lined up with a reverse grid qualifying race or reverse grid main Grand Prix or whatever, 
then you can have your pros and cons either way, but at least it's consistent through the season and it's fair. If you were in a position where 19 of the 22 races, you de- you generally, you're quite even with your rival, but for one reason or another, the reverse grid races suit you because maybe one of the slower teams that you come up against has got a grudge to bear and acts improperly, shall we say, like a, a customer team, say a Ferrari customer team starts blocking the works Mercedes aggressively or runs them off the road as they're trying to overtake on merit, overtake on merit because they don't have blue flags or whatever. I just think it, it, it's got the potential to be an an unfair impact on the overall championship. I think if you're going to do those experiments, you need to do it like what W Series did, where they had an extra race that was non-championship to experiment with a race, new race format. And obviously, you're never going to get that in F1. Wouldn't it be brilliant if we had non-F1 race, uh, well, non-championship F1 races again? Go back to Walton Park or Brands Hatch Grand Prix. Massive prize fund. Yeah, exactly. That would be fever. Extra race at Silverstone or something like that in April. I mean, it's not going to happen. But those are the situations for experiments. I. I think from a purely fair point of view, I'd love to see it, but if I was a competitor, I'd be, that would be one of my reasons for not doing it. Basically. I think, I think Japan weekend showed that we can experiment with the format without, you know, completely uh, ruining an F1 weekend. In fact, a lot, most of the drivers claim that it improved the weekend by having one less day. So I think the, there was kind of a shock when we were forced into making a format change and it was a bit like, Oh no, what's going on? Can we, can we do this? Can we, can we, can we race without qualifying? What's going to happen? Um, yeah, do it on the championship order. So I think if you're gonna if you're gonna experiment like that, Scott, I completely agree. You shouldn't be done in a points paying race. Just set the grid for that race on the championship points at that point, and do the do that experimental race on the Saturday instead of qualifying. That's what I do. I think it. The interesting thing is it just creates a lot more variables. It's more challenges for drivers and teams to win races. Uh, I wrote a column recently and, and used the example of what happened at the Singapore Grand Prix, where by and large Leclerc was was a stronger driver than Vettel but there was that phase when they made their stops and they dropped behind I think it was a group of four midfielders who were still out and Vettel just destroyed Leclerc in going through them he pulled I think just over five seconds on him in that phase and that's actually where you just broaden the challenge as a driver should we say uh should we say faces but I think it I think whatever happens it would have been people would have watched it and I'm not entirely sure that uh we do need to be too desperate about protecting the sanctity of the French Grand Prix, given uh, given how unpopular that that's been. But I think, I mean, as I said before, I don't mind sticking with things as we've got now. But the fact I have had an interest in the reverse grids idea is in reaction just to the constant objections to what Formula One is from from various people. And you kind of think, well, that is a that is a way to create conditions to improve that. And there is there is a fundamental problem in that you have to you have to start the cars in some order. You can't all start like a rallycross race and have 20 cars all equal because that's a recipe for disaster. But, well, but funnily enough, rallycross orders are set by races. Well, that's true. <laughs> they yeah, yeah. race to set the qualifying order. So That's true, yeah. But you still end up with all sorts. Yeah, yeah no, what, you, what you're saying is valid, then. but it's just funny that, you, yeah, yeah. You, 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 that it's put that way because obviously rallycross do, do race to do that. I, I, I think if the, if, the teams, if the teams and the drivers are pointing to the fact that they don't need three practices anymore, then why not do it when, why not experiment in FP2 for those rounds? Yeah, they're, because, they're, they're because definitely you know, an option. FP1, the race, and then the teams have got overnight if there's any damage caused in those races to, to fix and everything, sort it out. Then you've got FP3 to get back into the swing of things. Then you've got your qualifying, then your race. I've always liked the idea of doing something on Friday as the housekeeping, vacuum cleaner related antics going outside the door in case anyone's wondering what That's that is. A, that, if you're listening, this is actually me doing an impression of a Hoover. <laughs> uh, now, we should. Uh, what was I saying? I was saying something very, very important there, I'm sure, but I've, uh, I've been disturbed by housekeeping. So, uh, so 
the, the world will have to go without my uh, me, me finishing off my can thought. I, can I provide my revolutionary input into the Autosport podcast? I just remember what I was going to say, which is basically I do like the idea of something on Friday just to liven up and lift Friday. Carry on. Well, I've duly helped you remember what you were saying and launch a new segment of the Autosport podcast. I've got some trivia that I'll give the answer to on the Autosport podcast on Sunday night, but I'll give our, I like uh, it. our listeners the chance to comment on Twitter but 30 years ago a touring car legend scored his only Formula 1 points in the Mexican Grand Prix albeit it was a lot earlier in the season when the, when the race was in the first five or six rounds but uh, yeah one, one very legendary touring car driver scored his only Formula 1 points so I'll, uh, I think we'll award a Twitter like for the right answer and a Twitter like if you can guess, guess a team as well I won't spoil it by saying the answer Excellent. Good job, Colin Turkington, at the Mexican Grand Prix 30 years ago. <laughs> at a very young age, yes. So you'd have been at that stage. And of course, you can listen to our podcast out uh, last time about Colin Turkington, whether he's the greatest BTCC driver. Oh, seamless like pluggery. Oh, that is brilliant pluggery. That's what I'm paid the big bucks for. So, uh, yeah, and talking of plugs, do uh, have a look at autosport.com for all the news from the Mexican Grand Prix. You'll be able to see Jack Bennion's uh, wonderful contribution on his debut. I'm sure he'll be uh, be very, very adept. Autosport magazine, of course, out every Thursday. The Autosport podcast is out usually every, uh, every Monday and Thursday. And, of course, on Monday we'll have our Mexican Grand Prix review show. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.